The Future by Stefan Molyneux, Chapter 41. I debated whether to let myself sleep the night before the trial. Looking tired and haggard can be advantageous when being judged, but rested and refreshed has a good look too. It really depends on the mood of the jury and the nature of the charges. Cornelius had warned me that the trial was being broadcast around the world with literally hundreds of millions of people watching. I glowed at the prospect. I always did my best work center stage. I was fairly certain that my son was being kept in the same hospital, but of course we had no chance to meet or talk since he was going to be used as a witness against me. I had little concern about his testimony, though. Apparently he had pushed the world into these cataclysms, so I didn't imagine his moral authority carried much weight. (laughs) Again and again, I glowed with good fortune (laughs) that this silly and sentimental age cared more about me disciplining my son than invading a sovereign nation. (laughs) Feminism for the win. The purpose of a parent is to train his children to thrive in the world that is, not to point them at some imaginary utopia. I didn't invent the world. I didn't invent the rules, but I would be damned if my children would not find their way to the top of the crap heap known as society. (sighs) Trying to make your children better than the world guarantees their failure. Cornelius tried to prepare me for my cross-examination, but I didn't care. I wouldn't take any coaching. I wasn't even sure I would be taking the stand. (laughs) I said that to myself, but of course resisting the spotlight has never been my strong suit. You're going to be hit by arguments you've never even considered, he insisted. I do my best work on the fly. I had to sign a document specifying that I was rejecting the advice of counsel. No worries. I wanted to be the tail that wagged the dog of this ridiculous society. There were still a few sane, statist countries left in the world. For them, if not for me, I had to make my case. I demanded, and got, a human barber or a haircut and a close shave. I always had a secret love of being pampered. I pretended it was for efficiency, but it was all just making up for my lonely crib and the rotating rows of female heads that first greeted my resurrection. The shadows on my legs. Cornelius and I did agree on one thing. I needed clothes from even before my time. (laughs) We pushed the time frame back on sartorial splendor as far as possible, almost to my grandfather's wardrobe, since the further back in time I appeared, the less likely I was to be strictly held to modern standards. (sighs) Hell, I would have shown up in a caveman's bearskin to beat these stupid charges. On the night before the trial, I decided to only give myself a nap. Being tired didn't make me fuzzy-headed, but it did slow me down, which I thought might be helpful in the coming trial. 
Answering too quickly was always a mistake. My respect for Cornelius dipped somewhat when he showed up with a deeply serious mask of gravitas on his face. I can't even count how many times I've been investigated and and cross-examined. My political enemies were always dragging me up the shredder on one pretext or another. When you don't have good policy rebuttals, you just launch legal attacks. It's, It's part of the game. No worries. Are you ready? He said in a low voice. I shrugged. Would it matter if I wasn't? He didn't laugh. In the taxi... Cornelius pointed at the foreboding clouds ahead and asked, Over or under? I grinned. Always through. Always! He nodded, and within a few minutes we were sailing in perfect serenity through the heart of a thundercloud. Birds and the occasional butterfly flashed past the force field, keeping the elements at bay, and I laughed in delight. Remembering the view from an airplane window when I was a child, watching the lightning arc through the clouds far below, and wishing I could stand in the midst of that storm, and now my childhood dream had come true. Maybe this new world isn't so bad after all. Oh, there were thousands of taxis floating outside the massive white building that served as the courthouse. I half expected it to have... Classical architecture and Doric columns as a nod to past culture. But then, of course, I remembered that this world had cut the past out of its heart completely and viewed everything that went before as corrupt and evil. So much for conservatism. Everything was annoyingly clean. I suppose robots scoured every surface at night. And it reminded me once more of a simulation. My grandson had explained to me once that putting dirt on virtual surfaces consumed computing power, so everything looked like it had been constructed from unblemished eggshells. Wouldn't it be wild if all of this turned out to be just my dying thoughts, my brain scrambling for redemption as I slid into the great good night? Eh, so what if it did? Life had been little more than a game. Perhaps death was, as well. Everyone was hooked up with tiny cameras, and I suppose various divine favors had been handed out for the few thousand seats in the enormous white amphitheater inside. I had thought long and hard about my entrance. You don't want to stride in too confident, because that looks arrogant, I wasn't entirely sure of this society's relationship to arrogance. My political opponents generally had to win the votes of those who screamed at pretend wrestling, so they could be as arrogant as hell, but I had to feign feminine humility because I knew my base very well. They were arrogant, of course, but you could never say that out loud. It would have taken away all their power. I found it interesting that the white-haired judge was not seated at a higher level than the accused, than me. I always found that old trick of the old world to be quite annoying, mostly because it was so effective at making people feel small. The judge 
leaned forward, quite unnecessary since his voice was amplified in some invisible manner, and addressed the waiting masses, the world, and the cloud of tiny cameras. Good morning, everyone. My name is Judge Sky Peters, and I welcome you to the trial of a truly remarkable and singular individual. His name is Louis Staten, and he stands before you in clothes that must look quite old-fashioned to you, but which are both comfortable and appropriate to him. Of course, we are not here to judge his choice of attire, but rather his treatment of his children, or child, in particular his eldest son, Jake. In the same way that Mr. Staten's clothes are comfortable and appropriate to him and his time, in some ways his parenting style was also both comfortable and appropriate to him in his time. The questions of justice, integrity, and consistency have puzzled and confounded our species since our inception. Justice requires the punishment of those who harm others by deviating from universal moral standards. Integrity requires that we either follow our own stated moral principles or inform others of a coming deviation. Consistency requires that our universal moral standards be followed independent of time and place. Morality is that standard which allows us to claim a universal right to forcefully impose our will upon others. The criminals regularly forcefully impose their will on others, but they do not claim a moral right to do so. In this, they are in the category of animal predation. Any standard which claims universality must be logically consistent, since logic is universal, and achievable, independent of time and location. Mathematics and science claim universality, and thus propositions and conjectures in these fields must be logically consistent and hold true independent of time and place. Morality is often perceived outside the sieve as a cultural standard which holds true only for those who believe in local customs. The hypocrisy of the outside world is easily revealed by the fact that parents teach their children moral absolutes, but when those children grow up to question moral contradictions on the part of their parents, those same parents take refuge in moral relativism. Our standard for morality, universally preferable behavior, holds true for all people in all locations at all times. It is the exact same standard that parents have always imposed on their children. Throughout history, parents have always instructed their children not to hit others. And this commandment has always been universal and absolute. They do not tell their children that it is immoral to hit another child on a Monday, but perfectly moral to hit on a Tuesday. They do not say that violence is wrong in the kitchen, but perfectly permissible in the living room. No. 
they instruct their children on the absolute morality of the two moral pillars of universally preferable behavior. Thou shalt not initiate violence, and thou shalt respect property. In other words, don't hit, don't steal. We would not expect people from the old world to understand the science behind our modern technology, for obvious reasons. We cannot expect Mr. Staten to wake up among us and understand every nuance and complexity of our modern voluntary social structures. However, ignorance of the law is no excuse when you have imposed that law. A judge who has punished criminals for corruption can have no possible excuse if he himself is found to be corrupt. A parent who has imposed the rules of the non-aggression principle and a respect for property rights on his children has no right to claim that he has no knowledge of these rules or no capacity to follow them. Parents cannot claim that they cannot possibly follow rules which they violently inflict upon a two-year-old. This would be like a mother punishing a toddler for failing to lift a weight which she herself cannot budge. Ladies and gentlemen of the jury, you have been charged with determining the moral guilt of Lewis Staten, the former president of this landmass. For reasons which I'm sure the prosecution will explain, his potential political and military crimes have remained outside the scope of this trial. Perhaps it is possible that a man from the old world might gain some forgiveness for failing to apply the ethics he inflicted on his children on his society as a whole. However, we cannot claim ignorance of that which we teach. A woman who teaches Japanese cannot claim to be ignorant of the Japanese language. A father cannot claim to be ignorant of the non-aggression principle if he has enforced said principle on his child. Child abuse in the sieve is virtually non-existent, but it still remains the habit and norm in the rest of the world. It is an important question to ask. Why are we prosecuting potential evils from almost 600 years ago? This question is common to all jurisprudence, since we cannot ever change the past. But justice is not about the past, but the future. We punish horse thieves so that horses are less likely to be stolen in the future. Those of us, the hundreds of millions of parents across the sieve, we all love, protect, and treasure our own children. But I dare say that scarcely a day goes by when we do not spare an agonized thought to the countless children across the rest of the world still being verbally abused, beaten, 
assaulted and bullied on a daily basis. This trial is not about the past, but the future. As a middle-aged man, though old by the standards of his time, Lewis Staten may still have children. Even over the course of this trial, millions of children will be born to parents who will be following the course and content of these arguments. Whatever moral arguments you apply to Mr. Staten more than half a millennia ago, certainly apply to parents in the present. Judge Peters paused for a long moment, his face unutterably sad. God, it was so even-handed. My heart soared. So careful to be right, to be accurate, to be moral, that they were like conscientious boxers warming up against an opponent happy to call in an airstrike. Back in the day, we fed lies to the leftist press. (laughs) The press, really. And they just burbled and published without question. My opponents couldn't do the same because everyone else in the media had to fact-check and get it right and be responsible. (laughs) So they lost. Judge Peters said, I now call for opening statements from the prosecution. A woman who looked like a girl, impossibly young, rose and smoothed her skirt. I recognized the sandy-haired man sitting in a front row. They just loved these white pews, didn't they? Whose eyes glowed with the pride of a father. David, his name was. The woman said, My name is Alice Bartholomew, and I will be leading the prosecution against Louis Staten, formerly President of the United States of America. Since the modern world no longer recognizes his title, I will simply be referring to him as Mr. Staten. Good morning. This is an unprecedented case in the history of jurisprudence although the legal theories are well established. We have constantly gathered together as a society to sit in judgment of the past. Indeed, if we never judge the past, we can never build a better future. Whether I judge my own actions from yesterday or Mr. Staten's actions from half a millennia ago does not matter with regards to universal morality. Of course... The question first arises as to whether we can hold Mr. Staten to modern moral standards. Morality is a form of technology, and we cannot condemn people without access to that technology for failing to use it. We might as well call a man foolish for not using a sky taxi before it was invented. However, the philosophical quandary at the crux of this prosecution is this. Morality has always claimed to be universal. That is how it is judged to be enforceable. Mere aesthetics are not enforceable on others. Morality, most specifically and emphatically, is. Alice gestured at me. 
Mr. Staten enforced moral standards, not only within his own country, the United States of America, but also around the world. He threatened old Russia for the international war crime of aggression, but he himself invaded. Cornelius jumped up. These arguments are unrelated to the central charge. The judge nodded. Withdrawn, said Alice. The question remains as to whether we can justly judge a man for his primitive morality when he lived in a primitive time. Another question must be resolved before we can start, which is whether we can prosecute a man in the absence of any available witnesses. I will confess that my office was preparing to charge Mr. Staten with various war crimes, and I apologize for allowing an earlier draft of my opening statement to bleed into the present. When we discovered another person from his time who had elected to undergo cryogenic freezing. It was really quite remarkable. The facility that housed these people had been placed underground in an extraordinarily remote location. It was solar-powered, but many of the panels had been wrecked over the centuries. Only two people remained intact out of many hundreds. One, of course, was Mr. Staten. The other turned out to be his son, his eldest son, Jake. It took quite a while to trace the wiring and find him alive. With our new access to Jake Staten, we were able to pierce the fog of time and resurrect an eyewitness to the crimes for which we have charged Mr. Staten. Alice smiled sadly. Now, I do try to avoid endless feedback from the world, because my relationship is to universally preferable behavior and justice itself. But of course, I could not help but notice how rapidly fascinated the world is by this case as a whole. I feel the pressure of hundreds of millions of eyes upon us, and also feel the pressure of knowing that everything I say, every statement I make and piece of evidence I bring to bear, will be examined and turned over in endless detail for endless years. This is like the trial of Socrates, but with more details and hopefully more justice. For those who are watching, who live in statist societies, I am aware that you find this all quite ridiculous. For those of you who live in the geographical region, once decimated by Mr. Staten's invasions, I apologize for not bringing him to account on your behalf. The judge warned her, and Alice paused. I do need to address the perceived foolishness of the charges against Mr. Staten. With all that he did and all that led to the cataclysms, charging him with child abuse seems an insult to the billions who suffered and died. I could see everyone finishing the silent end to her sentence as a result of his actions. I laughed inwardly. It reminded me of Jane's funeral and everything that was hinted at that brute power restrained from being simply spoken. Alice opened her mouth to continue. Oh, so earnest. For those who do not know 
the foundation of the modern free world, a brief explanation is in order. All societies, before the modern sieve, were built on the backs of broken children. I hope you will forgive my poetry, but there is no clearer or cleaner way to put it. The democracy or, or republic that Mr. Staten presided over specifically ignored the voices and perspectives and preferences of children in the formulation of its public policies. Adults were free to choose their own occupations. Children were forced into government indoctrination facilities. The closest most of them came to prison in their lives. Adults could not hit other adults, but were allowed to hit children. Children were not allowed to vote, which meant that no politician had to focus on what was best for children. Alice raised her hand. Of course, I am not saying that the solution would have been to have children vote, because that would have just given the parents extra votes, so to speak, since they would have just bullied their children into voting for whoever the parents preferred. But a society that fails to focus on what is best for its children cannot survive, will not survive, and historically has never survived. Politicians such as Mr. Staten had no problem pillaging the future tax revenues of the young in order to pay for... Cornelius jumped up again, and I actually appreciated his agility. She cannot testify as to my client's state of mind. Judge Peters agreed, and Alice apologized again. I speak not so much to the past as to the various scattered places in the present where governments still hold sway. To those societies, I say, the children in your world have no voice, no rights, no respect. You have built a system that exploits them, beats them, indoctrinates them, keeps them silent. And all who mistreat children will be destroyed by moral decay. Society can only expect the allegiance of children if it provides those children security and opportunity. Governments do not add value to the economy. The only way they can pretend to provide anything is to take, print, or borrow. Borrowing against children creates resentment when they grow up. That resentment is generally leveraged by hostile actors, both foreign and domestic, into undermining and eventually destroying the society that exploits them. Cornelius said, the prosecutor is making speeches. Alice said, I am setting the stage for the charges. The judge nodded, but asked her to hurry it along. The most foundational question, the most foundational moral question, which is the only question that matters, for any society to ask is this. Why are adults excluded from the moral rules they impose on children. Alice turned to Cornelius. I assume this is on target enough for you? 
The judge admonished her, and she continued. Alice waved her hand. There are still countless millions of parents around the world who still hit their children while commanding their children not to hit people. There are still millions of you who take objects from your children while commanding those children not to steal. Even those of you who consider yourself enlightened still confine your children to timeouts, which you would never imagine doing at work or with your wife or your friends or your adult relations. Child abuse. Violations of the non-aggression principle and property rights take an average of 20 years away from a person's lifespan. Stress, cancer, ischemic heart disease, addiction, promiscuity, these all result from the toxins that are released in the body through the stress of child abuse. If a man were to administer a poison to a child that caused endless anxiety and health issues and killed that child 20 years before her time, we would punish him as a slow-motion murderer. It doesn't matter if your poison takes decades to kill, you are still a killer. These facts were all known in Mr. Staten's day, in his time. The scientific experiments had been run decades before the results were clear. Child abuse literally poisons minds and bodies. Mr. Staten may claim to be ignorant of the studies of these basic medical facts, but that doesn't matter at all by his own admission and standards. His government presided over the prosecution of people who claimed to be ignorant of the law, but ignorance of the law was no excuse by the cliché and rule of his time. Mr. Staten voluntarily chose to become a parent, chose to keep his child, his children, which means that he was responsible for raising them well. I don't have to learn how to fly a plane unless I plan to get behind the controls of a plane. Mr. Staten doubtless decided to have children sometime before they were conceived and therefore had at least nine months from the time of conception to educate himself on the science and ethics of parenting. Given what we will hear from his son, his parenting was abusive, even by the standards of his day. And Jake will further testify that his father never attacked him publicly. All the abuse happened in private, which begs the question, if he thought his behavior was acceptable, why did he hide it? We do not judge Mr. Staten by our modern standards. We do not judge him even by the standards of his day. We judge him by his own standards. We shall establish that he assaulted his son on many occasions and 
swore his son to secrecy. And we will also show that he never once assaulted his son in public. Mr. Staten knew that what he was doing was illegal by the standards of his day. And he also knew that he would be roundly condemned should his assault against his child come to light. Now, it might be argued, and doubtless will be, that Mr. Staten was himself abused as a child and therefore had no capacity, no practical ability to restrain his aggression. However, the basic fact that he never once assaulted his child in public shows that he was completely able to restrain his aggression. If his aggression were a form of involuntary epilepsy, then he would not be able to control it. The fact that Mr. Staten would threaten his child to wait until we get home clearly shows that he was able to postpone his own violence. Since he could restrain himself in public, he was equally responsible for failing to restrain himself in private. Now, we can all agree that Mr. Staten himself was doubtless abused as a child. And while that gives us some sympathy for his suffering, justice demands that we universalize his own morality and apply it back to him. Historical records clearly demonstrate that Mr. Staten regularly demonized his own political opponents, or supported the media doing the same, without ever once acknowledging that they were doubtless raised by parents who indoctrinated their children in those beliefs. If a man had bigoted beliefs because he was raised by racists, he gained no sympathy in the society that Mr. Staten presided over. He was simply called a racist and destroyed. Mr. Staten himself showed no sympathy for the victims of childhood indoctrination, but rather judged adults as if everyone chose their own beliefs without compulsion. Removing a man from his history and judging him in the present as a completely independent moral actor was Mr. Staten's consistent habit. Again, we cannot judge him according to modern morality. We cannot even judge him according to the morality of his day, but we can judge him according to his own moral standards. Since he inflicted his own morality on others, it is entirely just to inflict it on him. If a doctor prescribes a treatment for a certain illness, but then rails against that treatment for himself should he get that illness, we know he is a bad doctor, regardless of technology, or circumstances. <sighs> I stifled a yawn. God, I'm so boring. Everyone knows that losers cite facts and logic because they lack power. Arguments are a death warrant to getting what you want. <sighs> Alice went on. Mr. Staten 
always treated his children gently while in public. He never sought help for his violence against his children. He treated other people's children with thoughtful consideration. And if the court will allow me to wax philosophical for just a moment or two, I will tell you why we are prosecuting him for child abuse. It is my belief that violence against children is a test of morality and empathy. If a man commits violence against his children and society lets him get away with it, then the path is clear for him to commit violence against others, adults, both domestically and overseas. Violence against children is a kind of test run for violence against adults. A society that fails to protect its children is fundamentally failing to protect itself as well. In other words, the reason that Mr. Staten, when he was president, was able to commit such egregious acts of violence against others, again, both domestically and internationally, was because society let him get away with beating his children, his child, as far as we can determine. All the most abstract levels of violence arise from the most personal aggressions. War results from child abuse. Dictatorship results from child abuse. The cataclysms resulted from child abuse. Every member of every society in the old world made a decision every day, every moment of every day, to let child abusers continue their dark deeds. People did not intervene. They did not ask children about their experiences or did not listen to their answers. And they let this continue in most households, on most streets, in most cities and countries. They failed to confront the abusers. They failed to confront their own capacity for abuse. And as a result, the children grew up to hate their own societies and failed to respect any of the rules those societies wished to impose. Why should I obey the laws of a society that failed to protect me as a child? Why should I listen to your prohibitions on violence when you let me be beaten and neglected as a child? Why should I listen to your respect for property when you let the government, you voted for the government that plunged me into debt to buy your vote? Why should I respect any moral commandments you wish to inflict on me when you preferred social ease and the companionship of evildoers rather than confronting my abusers and saving my life? And even those who tried to help the children, who promoted peaceful parenting, those people were torn apart by society. 
society not only failed to protect its own offspring, as anti-natural a situation as could be conceived of, but it also attacked anyone who tried to help the children. The children saw all of this. After the rise of the old internet, for the first time in human history, children could see the undoing of their protectors in real time. And they grew up with nothing but contempt for their elders. Since their elders were moral hypocrites of the first order, most of the children gave up on morality as a whole. A feral age was thus born, where modern technology fueled the spread of ancient hedonism. Live for today, live for power, live for status, live for sex and food, but never live for morality, because morality is hypocrisy and is only ever used to control you. Morality is a mechanism of confinement and subjugation, and it is the mark of a slave to be moral, because morality never applies to the rulers, to the slave owners, to the fat farmers of the tax cattle. Morality became humiliation. Morality became subjugation and the natural animal desire for success and control and power was channeled away from self-mastery and compassion for suffering and instead flowed into the state, into power, into violent control over others. And who could blame these children? In general, not specific to this case. Because they were taught that morality is a mere convenient justification for abuses of power. And all who are moral are slaves. This was the tipping point into the cataclysms. The failure of morality to restrain greed. The death of morality is the birth of tyranny. If citizens refuse to restrain themselves, they will be restrained by those in power. Society was divided into those desperately clinging to the remnants of the good and those who used that desperation to subjugate, humiliate, and control them. Greed swelled, debt, the economies collapsed, government power grew until the inevitable chaotic rebellion or abject subjugation. Nature reimposed restraint through disaster since it had been abandoned through immorality. Alice turned and pointed at me. And while this man cannot be justly held up as a scapegoat for the disasters that consumed the lives of billions, we can learn, we can still teach the status regions of the world that how you treat your children is how your future will treat you. Control them with false morality and they will grow to abandon morality and control you with brute force. We cannot resurrect the billions who died in the cataclysms. 
We cannot go back in time and change the endless moral cowardice of every moment. But history, circumstance, and coincidence has resurrected one man for us to judge. Alice's voice softened. Like most of you, I have a family tree on my wall as a reminder. And I gazed at my family tree every night as I prepared for this case and wondered what they would want me to say, what would give them some peace. Billions of people, perhaps unconsciously, I doubt it though, earned their own deaths by failing to protect children. We have one of them here, before us. The fact that he was a president is irrelevant. The fact that he was a parent, still is a parent, as we shall see, is everything. Because Mr. Staten failed to protect his son, beat his own son, and participated in the endless cover-ups of crimes against children in his environment, in his family, in his community, and his country. That is why his invasions were possible, why his predations and exploitations and indebtedness were possible. If you will not protect your own children, will you stand up for the children of unknown foreigners? Alice let the question hang for a long moment. To me, it had a silly noose around its neck. However, I could see the effects of her words on the people leaning forward in their white pews. Her syllables were striking hearts most solidly, and I began to feel some real unease. Dear God, alive! What if she really is convincing? Alice continued, her voice changing to reflect the power of generalities and an explanation for the suffering that billions had gone through, that I had apparently set in motion and slept through. In the past, everyone believed that heroism was charging up a beach with a gun in your hand or pulling a man from a burning building. This allowed them to reserve their courage for situations they would never face. The courage of the everyday. The courage to ask children how they are doing and really listen to the answers. The courage to protect children, to build a secure future by securing the vulnerable in the here and now. That courage was never discussed, never encouraged. What passed for art was all superhero movies and cartoon villainy. The everyday heroism necessary to confront the very real villains in your environment, in your family, in your own heart, was always avoided. Evil ran the world. And everyone cried out at their perceived helplessness while studiously avoiding the very real actions they could take to save themselves, save the future, 
Save the world. Well, that is not how we live now. Now, we protect the children. Many of you were surprised to hear that child abuse is the most serious crime in our society for the simple reason that child abuse is the source of all other crimes. And we are far more focused on prevention than cure. Millions upon millions of children are still being abused in the world today, as I speak, as you listen. Hundreds of millions of you are are, are turning in here to watch this trial, which is one of the reasons... Alice changed her mind. And... Defense of the children in the world is defense of our society, our freedoms, our civilization. Children who are beaten, assaulted, and abused, and neglected will often grow up to hate our free societies as a utopia they are barred from. And they may attack us, undermine us, just as they were attacked and undermined. The defense of children is the self-defense of civilization itself. Through our collective judgment of Mr. Staten, we invite everyone across the entire world to judge themselves by their own moral standards, by how they behave in public, by the sentimentality of the soft stories they tell their children, and ask yourself... Are you a good parent? Are you teaching your children morality, reason, negotiation, and peace? Are you hitting your children, yelling at your children, infecting them with the mind virus of verbal abuse? Are you neglecting your children in pursuit of money, glory and fame, all empty vessels to stuff into the hollow heart of your own past suffering. I remind you, as all moralists have throughout history, that the moral is the practical. Defending children is the same as defending yourself. Violence against children will destroy your society. Failing to protect children will raise the beasts who will consume you. And us too, if we are not careful. Alice finished almost panting. Do you want to continue? Asked the judge. Alice shook her head. Oh, my heart was pounding. I could see the tears in the eyes of the audience, the the, the crackling electric charge of her words flowing across the world. I almost shook. I 
almost shot an apologetic look at Cornelius for failing to take his advice to prepare, but my pride closed my eyes. I felt nothing. To me, her words were like tiny ripples on the bow of a great battleship, parting without a tremor. To be fair, I wanted to behead her, but mostly for entertainment purposes. My face ached, and I tasted salt. God, my father would have known how to deal with her. Cornelius rose.